he is a bull. You cannot get him down, and the numbers back that up. Welcome to Props and Hops, a betting and beer podcast powered by Dimers.com and part of Blue Wire Hustle. I'm your host, Matt Landis, and this week it's our wildcard weekend breakdown featuring the return of special guest, NFL handicapper Cleve T.A. We get into why Cleve T.A. focuses more on props in the playoffs and how he finds edges in that market, but we don't ignore sides and totals altogether. We touch on those in the three games in which T.A. has the strongest opinions, and those games are Raiders-Bengals, Patriots-Bills, and 49ers-Cowboys. To bring things full circle, T.A. lays out his handicap for my favorite player prop I've heard in a long time. And while this episode's all about the NFL playoffs, if you'd be curious to learn more about T.A.'s background, you can find out about it in episodes 51 and 52 in this podcast feed from our two-part conversation this past summer. One housekeeping note before I cut to this week's conversation, if you want picks driven by analytics and thousands of simulations, Check out the Cutting Edge Quick Pick section for free at Dimers.com. You can find that via the link in the show notes to see where you want to get down on the Dimers Bot's biggest edges. And now, enjoy my wildcard weekend conversation with NFL handicapper Cleve T.A. Cleve T.A., welcome back to Props and Hops. Hey, Matt. How are you? I appreciate uh, joining you. Uh, it's been uh, an interesting year, and I can't believe we're headed to the playoffs already. It's been a pretty wild one. Yeah, and as we get ready to move on to the playoffs, I would love to get your approach on the playoffs compared to the regular season from a betting perspective. And I'll note off the top, you had a great appearance on Covers Daily yesterday with our mutual friend Adam Chernoff. And you and I are recording this conversation the afternoon of Thursday, January 13th. So lines might be moving, um, you know, as people get a chance to listen to this whenever they do, hopefully a good bit before games kick off. But yeah, if anybody hasn't listened to that Covers Daily appearance with Adam, I'd highly recommend it. If you're not following Adam, then you're missing out. And for this conversation's purposes, we will look to advance rather than repeat some of those talking points. But yeah, just in general, what's your outlook when it comes to the playoffs versus the regular season? Yeah, I mean, it's a different animal, obviously a lot less games. Um, I typically do uh, find some some value, though, uh, in, in the wild card round. But, um, you know, and for me, I'm, I'm generally a um, more of an underdog player anyway. So the wild card round has been very kind to, to underdogs in the last handful of years. So uh, that does play to my kind of, you know, my leans typically. So, uh, but as we go along, it's, it's, it gets harder and harder and lines more efficient and you know, you typically get really good teams versus really good teams. And there's just not a lot of great, you know, I'm more of a, you know, break down the matchups and those sorts of things. And you just don't find a lot of those, um, you know, uh, things available for, for one side or another. Um, and, you know, as we go along, like I said, you get more, more money to the market and it gets more efficient. So it's a lot harder to find edges. So I do a little bit more on the prop side of things. I think um, as we get deeper into the playoffs, uh, there's such, such a huge offering out there for the playoffs. And I think that's, that's a better way for me personally to attack it. But um, you know, just in general, just that winding down number of games are, are lower. And so you just kind of get a little bit less action. As you speak to props, I know we can get to a few specifics as we go through a few games with some strong opinions. Generally speaking, how would you describe your approach to props as we get into the playoffs here? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, 
there's really kind of there's no one approach. Uh, I really I have a season long database uh, for each team in terms of how they've performed, you know, offensively and defensively, and it's all schedule adjusted. And you know, I can break down, um, you know, how certain defenses uh, fare versus certain types of offenses and um, certain rankings, and so I can get an idea of you know who's kind of overvalued or undervalued from a very specific, you know, like run defense or pass defense or vice versa. And then I dig in a little bit deeper on the individual players. And I do, um, you know, a lot of these props tend to, um, they tend to start off or they open up, it's kind of season long averages, right? Like there's not a lot of thought taken into it. Maybe you get a little, um, you know, tilted one way or another. Um, but if you, if you, if you just do a little bit of homework and figure out, Hey, you know, this one guy maybe has seen a lot more, you know, allocation of carries, for example, if he's running back towards the end of the year versus earlier in the year, and, and maybe that skews what his season long data looks like, you know, you could take advantage there. There's, you know, obviously, like I said, matchups and finding finding those um, defenses that maybe have been a little bit overvalued. Maybe the rankings are a little bit higher or, or too low based on, you know, who they faced. So those sorts of things. And then to looking at, you know, applying some of the metrics um, with, you know, with weather and with wind and, you know, how, um, you know, the play allocation is going to be distributed. You got to make some guesses, obviously, because, you know, once you get the playoff time, you know, you're not getting some of those third string running backs aren't grabbing a couple of those carries as they do in the regular season, right? Like you, you want to uh, allocate that to your, your best players in the playoffs. So, you know, taking some of those things uh, into account. So it's really just um, breaking all of that down. It's not, it's not really easy from that end, but uh, you know, I've watched so much. <laughs> I've been analyzing this every single week for, uh, for how many months. So kind of have an idea of what to look for. And it's just a matter of uh, if the numbers uh, match what I'm looking for. Sounds like you are leaving no stone unturned. And a lot of the factors you touched on that inform your process with props might also apply to some futures that we're seeing on the board now. Before we get to our first few playoff games this weekend, I think a lot of betters looking at, you know, any possible value on teams to win a conference or win the Super Bowl. And to that end, are there any teams where with this updated futures board, now that the playoff picture is set, any teams where you might be seeing any value? You know, I, I don't really, I tend not to uh, dabble with any of those team futures once we get to the playoffs. I've, you know, I have in my back pocket um, the Niners to win uh, the NFC at 28 to 1. I actually gave that out on Twitter. Uh, I think it was late October, early November, whenever they started to, I think they were under 500 and everybody was kind of off the bandwagon. And I noticed, you know, they had, you know, that as usual, it happens every year that the Niners have a bunch of injuries, uh, but they were getting guys back. And um, I think Kittle had just gotten back and I saw that, you know, they, they faced a schedule where they got to play teams like Jacksonville and Houston and um, Seattle and, um, and they were going to face, I think at the time, they were about to face the Cardinals without Kyler Murray. So I just thought that that was really good value on a, on a team that's very talented. They're just kind of getting its pieces together. So that is one that I hold in my back pocket. I'm looking, you know, I'm just looking at DraftKings. It's 10 to 1. So, I, you know, I actually do think they can make a run here. We could talk about that game. But I think at 10 to 1, you know, you just have to kind of map out what you think is going to happen with the playoffs in terms of um, the bracket. And, you know, if you just rolled over the money line, is that a better value? And usually it is. So I, I don't think there's really too much here, to be honest. I think it is a wide open, um, wide open uh, playoffs in general, but uh, I don't see that much value. I will say, um, you know, I did talk about it a little bit on Adam's show. You know, I did find, I did some digging um, in terms of kind of what are, 
some of the criteria that you typically see with a Super Bowl team. Um, and I look back at the last eight Super Bowls, so 16 participants, all of them um, finished either um, top seven in EPA per play on offense in the regular season, or if not, if they didn't, they had to be they were number one in the NFL and EPA on defense, right? So they're either a dominant defense or uh, one of the better offenses in the, in the NFL. And so if you, if you go by that criteria, uh, there's only six teams that fit. So Tampa, Green Bay, San Francisco, Dallas out of the NFC. Obviously, those last two will be facing each other. And then Kansas City and Buffalo, not shocking, in the, in the AFC. So for me, those are real. I mean, and just without even looking, those are the kind of the six teams I think have a real – shot for the most part i mean maybe you can make the case for the rams but just the way they've been playing of, of late and the way stafford's been inconsistent um you know it, it makes sense that they're kind of filtered out there so um you know I, I i think out of those like san francisco is probably the longest shot and you know that's only 10 to 1 to get to the super bowl at this point so long, long story short I, I would probably just if you're if you like an underdog to make a run just roll over their their money line i think you probably end up having a better uh, overall uh, number I love that approach because not only could you get a better overall number, most likely, even if you're playing this in a vacuum at one sports book, but the option to shop around and play the best money line you can find week to week can really ramp up that value and also give you the flexibility. If you do need a ripcord to bail at any time, if there's an injury or suddenly don't feel so hot about a team after they've racked up a couple wins, you're not locked in the same way that you are with that futures play. So I like that tidbit there. And I do feel compelled to mention one more team here. I know I've got you for a wild card weekend, but a team that's not playing this weekend that'll be back in action next week, the Tennessee Titans. From our conversation this past summer, you mentioned the Titans is a team you'd like to fade. And I'll read a few <laughs> quotes. These are the words of the mighty TA uh -oh. on what ended up being the AFC's number one seed. You said this would be the year Derrick Henry starts falling off a cliff. And I'll give you that one. That's certainly correct directionally. You also said... Their defense is atrocious. And one more quote, not a Super Bowl quality team. Based on what we've seen from the Titans over the course of the regular season and their outlook for the postseason, would you like to make any updates to what you're projecting for the Titans prospects? Yeah, so it's funny. I mean, I guess the Derrick Henry thing came uh, to fruition, right? Because it's just you, that much mileage historically, it almost always leads to an injury. And so we saw that. Um, so that that was true. I will say... Um, I think we recorded that before the Julio Jones trade, I believe. And not that Julio Jones made that. Just know, after. Him. Yeah. Okay. It, it, it's not like he makes such a huge impact, but you know, that, that did help them, you know, a little bit here, uh, this season, but they just, they've overachieved for sure. I think their defense, I mean, if you ask the average NFL fan to name a couple members of their defense, I mean, I don't think anybody can. I mean, I think the, 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 even the, the smarter, uh, more well-informed um, NFL people will say, oh yeah, Jeffrey Simmons. Right. And then it's okay. Well name one person, their secondary it's, you can't do it. And so from a talent perspective, they clearly overachieved. And I think that's, that's a, a great evidence for what Mike Vrabel's done. Mike Vrabel's done this year. So I give them all, all the accolades. Um, we'll say they, they did end up having a very easy schedule. Jacksonville was a lot worse than I thought. I mean, I actually had them as a, as one of my overplays, um, and you know, I did mention the Colts as a team that take the under, which barely hit, but it hit. Um, and, uh, and never so, in doubt, never in doubt. And then obviously Houston is one of the worst teams in the NFL. So they did end up playing a pretty easy schedule when it's all said and done. Uh, but yeah, they, they've overachieved. They've done a really nice job. And I was telling, I think I was talking to Adam yesterday about this. Like they, 
they don't do anything great, but on defense, they limit explosive plays, which for me, you know, explosive plays on offense and defense are a big driver of wins and losses in this league. It's just really hard to dink and dunk your way um, on offense. And then, you know, uh, allowing big plays on defense. It's really hard to do that and win in this league consistently. So they've done a really good job of limiting that from from opponents' perspective. I think they're fourth in the NFL in terms of limiting explosive plays. Uh, on offense, they have not, you know, get, gotten a lot of big plays because they just don't have big play um, weapons on the outside. Um, so that will hold them back. And But when Julio Jones and A.J. Brown have played together, I mean, Ryan Tannehill's performed like the best quarterback in the NFL when you look at success rate on dropbacks. So, you know, there is something to be said there that he's just played really well when those two are in the lineup. And that's even, you know, in some games without Derrick Henry. So they've done a really nice job of kind of playing fundamental defense, um, kind of keeping everything in front. They're good tacklers. There's just a sound defense. They don't do anything great. Like I said, they don't get a ton of pressure on the quarterback, but they do just enough. So I, I said, I think they're third in the AFC. I really do like, um, uh, if the Bengals win this game this week, you know, depending on how much they win, I, I, someone asked me on Twitter today what I thought the projected spread would be. I, I mean, I sometimes with, with Titans lines, I'm just guessing because <laughs> you just don't know how the market perceives them. But I, I said, you know, around two and a half, I think they would open as favorites. And if that's the case, if they open anything under three, I, I'm going to take Tennessee. I'll just tell you that right now um, because I just like that matchup. And I think, you know, I trust Vrabel and Tannehill a little bit more. Um, so, you know, I think from that perspective, they can get to the, um, AFC title game. I just don't think they, I just don't think they could beat either Kansas city or Buffalo. Um, and honestly, I'm not even sure if they could beat new England, if the Patriots end up playing them in round two. So like I said, I think they're, they're kind of the third rated team, but just based on matchups, um, you know, uh, it, it would be a tough, tough sell on the, on the second round with the Patriots, but overall, uh, I think it's kind of a one, maybe a one win and done from them. Yeah, I'll be right there with you if they draw the Bengals. Again, depending on what we see from the Bengals this weekend, we'll get to that game in a minute. But if they open up laying less than a field goal, I will be with you backing the Titans as much as Henry, you know, maybe fell off a cliff this year. I would say maybe he disappeared from the edge of the cliff because he got hurt. He didn't show that he's lost anything when he's still healthy and without a big workload this year. Assuming we see him healthy for the playoffs, that could be a big boost to the offense defensively like you touched on Vrabel deserves a lot of credit for developing some young talent that most of us who follow this stuff pretty closely couldn't even name and then in the standpoint of the Titans not being a Super Bowl quality team to borrow your words I would still agree with that but I would say there's a lot to be said for the Titans consistency I mean they've just shown up week in and week out and as a Chargers fan I am well aware of the pain of a team that doesn't show up and take care of business when it should so I think that Tennessee was probably just about a decent team for much of this season, but in their current form with a return to health from some key guys on offense, continued development of some up and coming players on defense, they could be much more than decent looking forward. And that one seed, even though they're not the best AFC team, the fact that they have that one seed could loom pretty large. So interested to see what we get out of the Titans in the playoffs. But I think we can turn the page now, back a page, and focus on the wild card round. We'll touch on the three games in which you have the strongest opinion this weekend. And that starts with the first game in the Saturday doubleheader, the Raiders at the Bengals. Sounds like you consider the Raiders good down to plus four and a half. So even though the line has crashed down, still a little bit of wiggle room there if people haven't bet the Raiders yet. Yeah, and I got it at six. Um, and to me, I, I think that... 
the line is a little bit inflated, or at least it opened up inflated because of the perception of um, the fact that the Raiders uh, had to go to overtime in a tough game on a Sunday night and now have to play a short week. You know, there was kind of that inherent, oh, uh, they're going to be flat the next week and maybe they'll be too exhausted. And, and so I, I, I did some research and I just couldn't find any evidence that, um, you know, situations like this. Now, you don't get exact situations because how often do teams play in a short week in the last week of the year after, you know, playing overtime? It's not like that situation arises. But what I did was I looked at teams uh, that played a Monday night game because um, it's the same, you know, going from Monday night to, to the next Sunday. It's the same kind of rest, um, you know, bad rest spot. You know, how many of those teams you know, struggle the next week? And it just doesn't it just doesn't play out. Uh, I actually, in fact, the Raiders were in the same exact spot after week one. They, they played that Monday night game at home against the Ravens, took them to overtime, won that game. And then the next week on a Sunday flew cross country to play a one o'clock game uh, in Pittsburgh and blew out the Steelers. And, you know, and I think the Ravens did it as well. They they came home and they they beat the, the Chiefs the next week. So, you know, they're and I've looked, like I said, I look back and it's just been a mixed bag. Some covered, some didn't. So I, I don't know if that's as much of an issue uh, this week as maybe some are projecting. So I think that's why the line was initially inflated a little bit. And I think some of the sharps have really bet this thing down. But on the field, um, you know, I think that the Raiders match up well. Uh, offensively, you know, obviously they've got Darren Waller, um, who just came back last week. He's going to have a, a really nice matchup against you know some bad linebackers for the Bengals. Um, Cincinnati really struggles covering tight ends. Uh, and they cover the middle of the – they do a poor job of covering the middle of the field. Um, so their 24th in success rate allowed the tight ends down the middle of the field. Um, in general, they ranked dead last in yards per target allowed to those tight ends. I mean, Darren Waller in their first matchup, he caught seven for 116. He had a 70% success rate, and three of those receptions were for 76 yards in the middle of the field. Derek Hart in that game was seven for seven for 115 yards and 100% success rate uh, on all attempts into the middle of the field. So that's a big advantage. I've actually faded the Bengals on that angle a couple times. I, I faded them um, against the 49ers because George Kittle, I thought, would have a huge, huge game, and he did. Um, and that's that's kind of San Francisco's bread and butter. I also faded them against the Chargers mainly because I their pass defense is overrated. They face the second easiest schedule of opposing pass offenses. So I think they, you know, every time they face a good quarterback or a good you know, at least top half of the NFL offense, they've allowed a bunch of points. So I think that Derek Carr in that offense can move the ball. And I think the other side of the ball, uh, Max Crosby and, and Yannick Ngakwe should have a field day against those tackles for the Bengals who have struggled all year. And, you know, the right tackles, Isaiah Prince, who I know because he, he's an Ohio State guy, as, as I am, and he is not a good tackle. He's, he's, 12th, he's got the 12th worst pressure rate allowed among 82 NFL tackles this year. Um, he's really, really struggled. So I think Crosby, who leads the NFL in, in pressures by, by 20, which is incredible. He's had a great season. And we saw what he did against that, that poor uh, Storm Norton on the, on the Chargers last week. I think he could have a similar outcome here. So I think that's going to be a tough spot. And just in general, the Raiders don't blitz. And Joe Burrow's killed the blitz this year. He's number one in, in PFF grade against the blitz. He's still good you know, when it's you know, against non-blitz. Uh, situations, but just not as good. And the Raiders play a lot of zone. I mean, essentially play all zone. Um, and the Bengals have struggled a little bit against zone versus, you know, kind of dominating man when it's, you know, you got Jamar Chase going one-on-one and T Higgins going one-on-one with some of those corners. Um, they're not as effective against zone. So I think all of that being said, it's just a better matchup. Um, I like Derek Carr in the spot. 
you know, historically he's covered um, as a um, as an underdog of over three points. He's 56% for his career. Um, and we've seen it this year. Um, you know, they're they're five and one ATS and straight up as an underdog of over three points this year. Uh, we saw those two wins on the road against Dallas and, and the Colts. So they they're definitely capable of going in there and winning. I actually think they're very live. I, I did I took a little bit on the money line as well. So I think all in all, it's just a good matchup. You know, first year, first time uh, head coach and quarterback in the playoffs for uh, for Cincinnati. It's it's tough to be laying that many points in the cover that margin. So uh, that's why I think the Raiders are the good spot here. In addition to the Raiders plus the points, it sounds like potentially some interest in Darren Waller. I'm seeing receiving yards over 58 and a half, following up on the notion of looking toward props more often once we get to this stage of the season. And one more point that I would bring up from a betting angle that ties in with a lot of points you mentioned. I've heard a lot of sharp people I respect talk about the first half going under, and I've gotten in play on that myself. Currently, uh, can be had under 24, minus 115, maybe minus 120 is a maximum price for that bet. But playing into the Raiders' advantage in the trenches with their defensive front going against the Bengals' O-line, you touched on Burrow really dissecting the blitz and the Raiders, the least blitz-heavy team in the league. And in the first matchup during the regular season, they held Burrow to his lowest yards per attempt of the season. Maybe a bit of a free roll too. Burrow a bit hobbled. Perhaps he came out of the Chiefs game with an injury late, didn't play against Cleveland, so we're not sure how he's going to respond. If he's less than 100%, that certainly could keep the scoreboard output in check. And then in terms of isolating the first half, this is the first playoff game for both head coaches and both quarterbacks, so maybe they come out a little bit conservative early. Do you have any read on the total for this game, particularly the first half possibly going under 24? No, I like that. I mean, I think that makes sense. I didn't take it myself. Um, I typically don't love taking a side and a total of the same game. <laughs> um, they don't always correlate, but um, you know, I, I could definitely see that. I mean, in the first matchup, I think it was 10, six at halftime. It was, I watched that game and I, it's funny because I actually had the over in that game. Yeah. Same here. That was, that was dead in the water. So remember. Yeah. That it was dead in the water, although they almost got it at the end just because of that flurry. So people look at that and say, Oh, 32, 13 Bengals, you know, blew out, you know, the, the Raiders. It's not the case. I mean, the, what's crazy is the Raiders outgained Cincinnati 6.1 to 4.3 yards per play. Uh, and it was essentially even on the success rate um, uh, for both teams. So it was essentially a coin flip from that uh, perspective. They just, you know, 16, 13 with over five minutes left. And then the Bengals kind of, they got a couple turnovers, they had a, a touchdown run from Jacobs, you know, it was, it was not indicative of the, of the actual final score. Um, but I do think that uh, both teams will come out running a lot more. I think that the Bengals have been conservative. It's funny. They, they had, they were kind of, um, there's a lot of the sharp guys you, you see on Twitter uh, complaining about how they were running the ball too much, um, especially on early downs. And, and they kind of crank things up at the end of the year, but uh, in terms of passing the ball early downs, but I, I don't see them doing that here. I think that they, you know, again, um, when you're not facing blitz fronts, when you you know you think that kind of okay light box, I can run the ball with Mixon and kind of establish that with a with a young quarterback. I think I'm going to do that, and I think that's what Zach Taylor would do. So I do agree there. Um, and and both teams are pretty slow in general. Um, you're looking at uh, uh, the Bengals are 29th in neutral game pace, and the, the Raiders are 18th. And so you know I think that, that all trends to to an under. And just you know again we don't blindly follow trends. You know that's that's something that we. Um, I think in general is, is a good anecdote, but I think for things like the wild card weekend, there are, there are, you know, data points that I think are interesting. If you could believe this, I, I couldn't believe this when I, when I looked it up, non dome games in the wild card round 
have gone under in 25 of the last 36 games. Um, I mean, 69% of, of outdoor games have gone under in wildcard games in the last 36. So pretty, pretty interesting. And I think it makes sense. Like teams are tighter um, in the first game of the, of the, of the wildcard round. So, um, you know, I, I agree. I think if you're going to look at a, at a total, that's the side I would want to be on is the under. As you walk through that, one more quick prop I will throw your way for this one. Perhaps we'll get Joe Burrow under 260 and a half passing yards. You mentioned that they could be especially run heavy with Mixon. I also heard Steve Fezzik talk about this a little bit. Uh, one more point we haven't touched on yet. Burrow's stats might be a bit skewed from the regular season. They went for the jugular against the Ravens to get him over 500 yards in the rematch. He also targeted Jamar Chase a lot to help Chase's case for rookie of the year, which is probably going to come through at this point. So if we see, you know, a, a more neutral game where Burrow is not chasing 500 yards and they're not trying to feed Chase for a rookie of the year award, any quick thoughts on potentially looking at Burrow under 260 and a half pass yards? So I did not take that, but I'm looking at my numbers. Um, actually, I haven't got, there's been so much work to do. I've actually have not gotten to the quarterbacks yet, but I'm looking at just kind of my preliminary numbers before I make some adjustments and just pure modeling. Um, I, have, I have them at 255 yards for what it's worth. Um, and that doesn't take into account the weather and some, some other things, but just using kind of my general model without any other tweaks that, the, you know, that number looks to be a, a, sl a slight, um, slightly higher than, than what it should be, but not by a lot. Uh, but again, that doesn't, um, you know, consider that there's a new right tackle there and, um, uh, the weather is, is a little bit, you know, going to be a little bit of a factor. And the fact that like you said that the kind of play calling might lend itself to a little bit more running. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely worth a look, um, for sure. The only problem is if the Raiders get out ahead, then it's the, the, uh, that prop is probably dead in the water because the Bengals will just be throwing left and right. right. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think in general, that's, uh, it's a, it's a decent under there. Got it. Okay, we can maybe just chalk that up as a lean for now and turn the page to the next game with uh, maybe more than a lean in play. And that would be the nightcap on Saturday, New England at Buffalo. The Bills currently laying four, pretty much left to right on the screen, total of 44. What do you make of this one, round three between the Patriots and the Bills? Yeah, so I'm, I don't know if I'm regretting this one or not, but I do have an under ticket. And I know there's some sharps who are on the over, including Adam, which you know, does, does bother me a little bit. I just, you know, here, here's my case here. Um, we, we've been looking at the, the weather report and normally I think some of that stuff is, is overrated, but I th actually think it's underrated. You know, lately we even saw in the first matchup, we heard all about this crazy wind and cold temperatures and that total slowly went down. And then finally, I think it closed at what 40 and it just, it didn't even come close. And it's like, sometimes we, we, we kind of, fool ourselves into thinking that weather doesn't matter. I mean, I'm looking at the, at, um, I use a, a weather app that I pay for. So it's a little bit more accurate than I think the general forecasts. And I had seen single digit temperatures at kickoff, I think eight degrees. So I went back and I was just curious, you know, in the history of the NFL, not the history of the NFL, but since 1990, you just want to go back to, you know, something that's a little bit more modern. Um, how have games performed from a total perspective when uh, the temperatures are, are in single digits? There's been 20 NFL games since 1990 where they're at kickoff. It's been a single digit temperature, 13 of the 20. So 65% have gone under um, nine of the 11 games that had a total of at least 40. And obviously here we're looking at, you know, 44, nine of those 11 have gone under as well. Um, there's only been two of 20 games 
um, in, where it's single-digit temperatures where the team scored a combined over 43 points. So that just kind of blew me away. I said, whoa, you know, the market is not, you know, correctly incorporating um, just how impactful freezing weather like this can be. And so, you know, and then I looked, I said, well, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe, you know, the wind was really heavy in those games too, because it's not supposed to be too windy here. Um, and no, the, the wind was really not a factor in any of those games. So it was purely cold weather. And so I, I texted a buddy of mine who played in the NFL. He actually played in Buffalo, he had a cup of coffee there, but he's been, you know, he was, um, you know, a Midwest guy and he's played on the East coast his entire career. And I said, Hey, you know, what do you think? How impactful are kind of these, these abnormally cold temperatures, not cold, but like abnormally cold. And he said, I played in a couple and it's you, that's all you're thinking about all game. Your concentration level isn't the same. You can't make any real cuts because the, the ground is frozen. So, you, you know, it's a lot harder to, to cut if you're an offensive player. Um, and it's just – and you get a, these Josh Allen, you know, frozen ropes, if, if you will, 20-yard uh, uh, lasers. That's going to be really hard to catch. It's going to be a rock. So I, I think that just that in general I think is being underplayed. I, I don't think that the weather is uh, – I think it's being less – Kind of accounted for here, but again, maybe maybe I'm the I'm you know looking at this wrong. So I think that plus again, I just talked about unders in general in this wild card round go have gone under 69% of the time in the last 36 games. Um, you look, this is the third time these teams have played in the last six weeks. So you know that familiarity will will cause you know the, I think uh, an under lean. Um, you know you look since in the playoffs where teams have faced um, a division opponent, so the third time that they faced each other. In the playoffs, the under has hit 54% of the time. So everything has leaned that way. I mean, you look at the Bills, four of the last Bills' uh, last seven games have gone under the total, and it would have been five if it wasn't for that OT game uh, against Tampa. Um, I just don't – you know, both of these teams are top eight in allowing the fewest explosive plays in the NFL. You know, like I said, I don't – I can't imagine Josh Allen's going to be slinging it deep, and these receivers are going to be able to catch those rockets in the in the freezing temperatures like this. And we know that Mac Jones is not going to do that. So – I don't know. All in all, to me, this was an underplay. Again, uh, the Sharps looked to be opposite of me. It, it bounced up to 44 and a half for a little bit, back down to 44 today. So, you know, that's my lean. I, I think this is kind of a, you know, 23-17 type of game. I don't have a side on this, I'll be honest. But I think for me, uh, it's the under. Yeah, I like the point. I mean, trying to catch some of those Josh Allen passes might be like trying to catch a brick fired out of a cannon from close range. Yeah, seriously, so that, right? <laughs> that might be a more meaningful factor than some of us would like to think. And a lot of the reasons you touched on your total breakdown did kind of tie in with why I have gotten in play on a side. And I'm on the Patriots plus four. When I look, in addition to some factors you broke down, when I look at the line history in the first two matchups this season – it was an expensive plus three for the Patriots in that week 13 win game at Buffalo. And we can kind of throw that one out because of the unique weather circumstances. But in week 16, the Patriots were favored at home. So to see them catching four now, I'm just not sure how much has changed in a pretty short time period. I'm guessing one thing you could say to push back the other way would be Mac Jones is a rookie quarterback making his first playoff start. Yeah. And I've talked about that. I talked about that uh, a couple times on Twitter and, um, you know, if you look at, again, another trend, I hate using trends, but just it's, it really does. I think this stuff matters when you've got, when you can tell the story around it, you know, if it makes sense, um, you know, this isn't data mining. I mean, the, these, these first time playoff QBs, 
versus quarterbacks who've, who've played in the playoffs before, as Josh Allen has, are 16 and 31 straight up and 14, 32 and one against the spread since 2002. When you look at rookie QBs, um, you know, a little bit better, actually, five and six against the spread, but still under 500, four and seven straight up. None of them threw for over 300 yards. Only you know, eight of the 11 quarterbacks uh, on that list um, since 2002 threw for under 200 yards. And we're talking about a modern era of NFL. Um, so, you know, more more interceptions and touchdowns. It's just a lot of things against Mac Jones, and he hasn't been playing well lately. That's what scared me from a side here, too. Um, with combined with that cold weather, you know, he's not used to that. The guy came from Alabama. He only played in Southern games. That wind game was the first time I actually was on Buffalo in that wind game because I had thought that, you know, Mac Jones is not used to any of this. There's no way he can throw um, accurately. And he didn't, <laughs> they didn't even let him. It was obviously all running. So I was kind of right from that perspective. This, the, the bills just couldn't stop them. So I'm not saying they're going to do that again, but it's going to be really run heavy. Like I can't imagine they're going to let Mac Jones just drop back and sling it 40 times. Um, and so I think it's going to be a lot of runs. It's going to be a lot of play action bootleg type of deals. And um, I actually think if you're looking for a, a prop, I haven't taken this, I haven't recommended it, but you know, I think his uh, Mac Jones's passing yardage is in the 200 range. I think that's a decent under there. I mean, I, I don't know if he can get to 200. I don't even know if he'll have enough attempts to get to 200. I have, I crazy enough like this. This is again, this is pure modeling. I mean, I have 158 yards for Mac Jones in this game. <laughs> again, that's, that's it's a little bit about that, that 150 includes, more than the first game. Yeah, and that includes some Tre'Davious White, you know, data in here. So you know, maybe you bump that up a little bit to you know, you get it to closer to 170, 175. But I, I just don't see him throwing it a lot, but they may just run, run the ball down the, the bill's throats and it may not matter. And the fact, like you said, you know, as we talked about the Josh Allen, you know, deep passes are just not going to be there because you just can't, you just can't catch them uh, in this weather. So, um, you know, lower scoring would lend itself to the Patriots here getting anything over a field goal. So if I had to take a side, I'd probably lean that way, but I, I personally just can't pull the trigger. And I just I'm sitting with the, uh, sitting with the under myself. Fair enough. Well, let's touch on one more game, flipping the page to Sunday, probably the marquee game of the weekend, the 49ers at the Cowboys. There is a side you have pulled the trigger on. Why don't you go ahead and break that down briefly for us? Yeah, and I kind of, uh, I think I uh, gave away the secret since I'm on <laughs> San Francisco to, to make the Super Bowl anyway. Uh, but I am on the Niners plus three here. I, I would take the, you could just take the money line and not even worry about the points. But, um, but yeah, I, I would take the three here. And so, um, and I know this line is only going one way. It was only going down. So I wanted to grab it at three. Uh, I just think the Niners, as they currently are constructed, you know, assuming Trent Williams will play, um, they are to me equally power rated in my eyes as the Cowboys. Maybe you can give the Cowboys a point here, uh, uh, above San Francisco, but, um, to me, they're essentially the same team. And so I don't think the home field advantage for Dallas is worth anything, or at least not a lot, not enough to get you to three. So I think the Niners are, are obviously one of the better teams in the NFC. I, I mentioned you know earlier that they fit that kind of historical trend of you know a team in the top seven of uh, offensive EPA uh, making it to the Super Bowl. You know they're they're up there. I think they're fifth uh, on offense. They're number one in the NFL in yards per play uh, since Week Nine. Um, uh, I'm, I was, let me like look at one more thing here. Cause I did just had a, a different number. Um, yeah. They're number one in the NFL in net yards per play uh, since week nine, they're number one in offense, number four in defense. Um, you know, Dallas is actually 19th in the NFL 
and they faced an easy schedule. I didn't include week 18, by the way, that, that Eagles game doesn't count in my eyes. Um, they're they're the, the, one of the, the seventh easy, easiest schedule in the NFL and they're 19th in yards per play. They've really struggled. They've beaten nobody. If you look at, um, you know, who they faced in the last half of the year, it's been, you know, Tyler Heineke twice, uh, the, the Washington off of, you know, two COVID situations. You had the Giants, um, obviously, maybe the worst team in the NFL. Um, you know, they faced a bunch of, you know, the, the, the Philly backups. Like, they, they have not really played anybody except for the Cardinals, and the Cardinals beat them. And I was on the Cardinals that game. I thought that line was, was ridiculous. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, even though they're, they're a solid team, they're not nearly as good as some of their numbers indicate. Um, and I think from a matchup perspective, you know, the Niners are number two in DVOA run defense. Uh, we know that Dallas loves to establish Zeke Elliott here uh, on the ground. I think I don't think they're going to be able to. So they're essentially going to be forced to throw. And, you know, the, the weakness of this team for San Francisco is in their back end, is their secondary. And some of their numbers, you know, um, you know, they're 18th in, in DVO, DVOA pass defense. But I think they're a little bit misleading because they haven't, you know, they haven't had a lot of their guys back there. Kwan Williams one of the better slot corners in the NFL uh, for the last handful of years. You know, he missed a few games. He's back. He came back last week. Uh, Manuel Mosley, who isn't a household name, but he's a very solid NFL quarterback, a top 20 in, um, you know, PFF coverage grade. He missed about a month and a half. He came back last week. So you've got those two guys. I think those that they've only played together in nine of 17 games this year. Um, so you had some shuffling, you had some young guys, Ambry Thomas and some others who had to play, um, you know, so that, that skewed some of their, their poor, uh, past defensive numbers. It's still not one of the better units, you know, on their team, but it's, it's good enough, I think right now. So they're finally healthy. Their pass rush is awesome. They have the second most sacks in the NFL since week nine. We know about Bosa and those guys, they don't need to blitz to get pressure, uh, which is a good thing. Cause Dak really does, uh, eat up the blitz. Um, you know, no Michael Gallup, I think will hurt a little bit for, for Dallas. Cause that, that, uh, takes away probably their best deep threat. Um, and then on the other side of the ball, I mean, the, the, the offense for, for San Francisco, I think when, you know, they've got all their pieces there, they're, they're really, really hard to handle. I mean, you've got Elijah Mitchell who has been an awesome, um, one of the better running backs when you look at success rate in the NFL, you've got George Kittle, obviously great tight end uh, going up against the Dallas defense, which is 22nd in defending tight ends this year. Um, you know, they're 19th in the middle of the field and we know that Jimmy G always throws in the middle of the field, uh, but really the, uh, the, the matchup I love, and I could talk about one prop that I've taken for sure. That's still, I think the number's still good is Debo Samuel. So Debo is just impossible to tackle. Like I, I think anyone who's watched this team play, he is a bull. You cannot get him down and the numbers back that up. He's number one in the NFL among wide receivers and yak yardage per reception at 10.2. It's a full 1.6 yards over the number two player. Um, and that's just, that's just receiving. And he's had, he's been number one for a couple of years now. This is not a fluke. Um, obviously he's getting more carries now on the ground and he is number one in PFF's elusive rating, um, which Essentially, it's just for running backs, and you know, Debo is considered a running back in this case. Um, but he by far is number one. That's essentially how many tackles have you kind of forced um, the defender to miss, um, breaking tackles. All it's a, it's a formula that kind of gets you there. So he's just really hard to get down. The secondary for Dallas is thirty first in the NFL in yards after the catch allowed. So um, Trayvon Diggs takes a lot of chances. He's not a great tackler. He will not be able to get down Debo Samuel on his own. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I think they're going to feed him. Um, on both sides of the ball. I mean, the running in terms of uh, running the football, Dallas has faced a very weak schedule, 28th in the NFL um, in terms of yards per carry allowed against a 27th ranked schedule. When you look at yards per carry now on a success and efficiency rate uh, 
rating perspective, they're not bad. They're 12th. But what happens is they give up a ton of, of explosive runs. They're 26 in explosive runs. So, you know, on a play-by-play basis, they're okay. They may limit you, but they also allow a ton of big chunk plays. And so that lends me to not only the Niners, but also I think Debo Samuel, you can get over 28 and a half rushing yards. And this number to me kind of floored me because I couldn't believe it when you, when you dig in. So the first half of the season, he barely got any carries on the ground. Um, I think he only had six carries in the first, you know, eight games. Um, and then once some of the players for the Niners, Elijah Mitchell, and um, they had some running back issues, he started to get much more involved in the run game. Um, the last eight games, he's essentially been a part-time running back. He's carried the ball 53 times, so at least five carries per game in every game, averaging close to seven carries and 43 rushing yards per game. So easily, you know, eclipsing that 28 and a half yards. Now, sometimes when you see that from a prop perspective, you know, there might be some outlier games that really push that average up and that that's not a good way to look at things. You should look at the median games. Um, and so even if you do that, it's his median rushing game is 36 and a half in the last nine weeks. So he really uh, has cleared this mark easily um, in all but one game. And that one game was Houston where Jimmy G did not start. It was Trey Lance. And so they clearly stuck more players in the box. It was you know a lot less room to run for Debo. So you know, that on top of all the, the rush defensive metrics I, I talked about with Dallas and the fact that they allow a lot of explosive runs, which, again, uh, lends its hand to, to Debo here. Um, when you dig a little bit deeper, um, the 49ers or sorry, the, the Cowboys do a pretty good job of stopping the run inside the tackles where they really struggles on the edges. Um, they are 27th and 16th in, a, in PFFs or sorry, in football outsiders adjusted line yards metric. Um, so essentially how many yards are you allowing kind of separate from the running back kind of, uh, you know, how, how often are you kind of getting gashed, uh, on the edges and they're, you know, one of the worst in the NFL on, on, uh, the right side of the edge, 16th in the NFL on the left side and Debo Samuel runs 58% of his carries so far this season on the edges, averaging over seven yards per carry and 26% of those runs have gained at least 10 yards. So you're getting big explosive plays around the edge. So I think all of that, it's a lot of information I know, but all of that lends me to this over. I think it really should be in the low 30s. I'm kind of stunned that it's sitting at 28 and a half. Um, and again, that might just be a case of if you put, if you look at his season long numbers, I think it's more like 23 yards per game. But if you just say, well, the first half of the year, he wasn't being used the same as he is now. If you just isolate the second half of the season, which I did, it's well above that. It's closer to 43 yards. So all that being said, that's a prop that uh, I think has got a lot of value and I think he's just going to have a huge game in general. I love that breakdown. And I'm curious to know if you have a price ceiling for the prop, understanding that there is some availability right now at 28 and a half. But after people hear this, and I know that uh, you have a pretty big influence in this market, um, once props become more widely available and more of the audience has access to get down at this, what is the price ceiling for Debo Samuel rush yards over? Yeah. So I, because you do have to take an account, I will say one thing with these props, you know, the overs always look good, right? Because you always assume perfect, you know, you're going to play every game and everything's going to go the way you, (laughs) you think it will. So you can't assume that you have to discount it a little bit because of potential injuries, right? Um, Potential blowouts, those sorts of things. So um, even if it's discounted, I would probably take it up to 32, uh, even 32 and a half. uh, I'm okay with. You know, once you start getting in the mid 30s, then it gets a little dicey because then you kind of, you know, um, all of the the risk is kind of then taken into, um, you know, 
is is part of this deal. So um, I, I think kind of low 30s, anything in the kind of 32 and a half or below, I think is good. Love it. Well, I will do a quick recap of the TA stamp of approval wildcard weekend portfolio. Based on this conversation, we've got Raiders plus five, Patriots bills under 44, Niners plus three, and Debo Samuel over 28 and a half rush yards, good up to 32 and a half. And for what it's worth, I'll add my play on the Patriots plus four, also liking Darren Waller over 58 and a half receiving yards. And you brought up a good point about Mac Jones. Probably time to give a good look at him to potentially go under 204 and a half passing yards. Sounds good to me. I like that portfolio. All right, let's see how it does for us this weekend. Usually I like to end the show with a question as a, a nod to the late, great David Malinsky, kind of coined it the Malinsky Minute. But I think that the way you went outside the box and broke down that Debo Samuel handicap, not looking just at his season-long stats, but his usage recently, a lot of great insight into the matchup. I mean, that's the kind of detail that readers of Dave's point-blank column years ago would really be fond of. So I think you have more than fulfilled anything I could have been looking to get as a nod uh, once again to Dave Malinsky. So TA, just one more question for you to wrap this up. Weaving in the other pillar of this podcast, the hops, over the summer when we connected, you had been enjoying some good fruited beer by Fatheads, an IPA by Columbus, both of those being breweries out your way in Ohio. Also on the cocktail side of things, getting into the old fashioned, any beer or cocktails you've been enjoying lately that you'd recommend for the audience? Yeah, you know, I haven't been drinking as much. I've just been so busy <laughs> with the site. Um, I've been putting, I got, I, I told someone I put 30 hours a week at least uh, into the site um, where I kind of break down every game and give picks out and stuff. And then I also have a full-time day job um, in finance. So I haven't had a ton of time and, and I also have a one and a half year old running around. So, you know, being drunk all the time probably isn't a great <laughs> idea, um, but I have on occasion, you know, when I do have a, a availability and, and time to kind of relax, you know, a buddy, my my wife's um, uh, friend's husband gave me a bottle of Blanton's uh, bourbon, um, which I'm not sure you're familiar with. But again, I, I, I do make an old fashioned or two on occasion. And so uh, he did give me that as a as a gift uh, a year ago for actually he, he was holding it for about a year because we didn't see him during the pandemic. But uh, it was for the, the birth of my daughter. And so I, I opened that thing up and you know, apparently it's kind of a collector's item. Um, it's out of Kentucky. It's it's got a, if it, the top of it, if you Google Blanton's barrel, um, Blanton's bourbon, you can see there's like a horse um, on top of, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the screw on top. And I think each, there's like different letters it spells. I think it spells Blanton. There's like different letters on each one. I don't know the whole uh, idea, but the, it does taste good. It's a really good uh, bourbon to go with uh, my old fashioned. So uh, that is something that I've, I have had a handful of, uh, of uh, glasses here in the last couple of months. So that's the one thing I can recommend. Love it. Yeah, Blanton's is up there as far as some of the best bourbon in the world goes. So a very nice gift uh, fitting for the occasion, the birth of your daughter. Glad you've been able to get into it a little bit recently. And hopefully after this playoff stretch, you'll be able to exhale a bit more and really enjoy some good Blanton's old fashions because it sounds like you've definitely earned it with the work you're putting in these days. Yeah, I've definitely been pretty busy, so I can't wait till after that Super Bowl is over to take a few weeks off before March Madness and, uh, yeah, enjoy a little bit of bourbon. Can't wait. 
Yeah, you and me both. Even if I'm not drinking Blanton's, I will be in the same boat with you, uh, at least in that regard of unwinding a bit after a long season. But TA, it's been a great season, and I appreciate you hopping back on the show. Last thing I want to do is make sure to plug your work so people know where they can find you on Twitter, at CleveTA, C-L-E-V-T-A. Also, your site, cleveanalytics.com. Is there anything I'm missing or anything else you'd like to add? No, I appreciate it. I mean, I, I have had that site up all year. I, I have a playoff package going. Um, I, subscribers have been really happy. It's not, you know, make sure it's not a tout. <laughs> make sure everyone understands it's not a tout page. I'm not selling picks. I'm selling analysis. I'm giving what I, you know, sides that I'm on, for example, the ones I talked about. Uh, but I do a deep dive in every single game. I give out kind of matchups that make sense, stats that make sense. Um, you know, maybe some some efficiency or inefficiencies that we can find to help with props and, um, DFS angles and all those sorts of things that can help you with whatever you're looking for, whatever, you know, you're playing a survivor pool or a pick em pool or, you know, playoff DFS or whatever you're doing. I think my analysis can help. So I've been uh, grinding hard on that and gotten some really good feedback throughout the year. A lot of people have won money doing that. So I'm, I'm very happy about that in my first year. So uh, I do appreciate the time and, uh, you know, look forward to more of these podcasts. You do a really good job and uh, hopefully we can get some winners here this weekend. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's easy to do a good job when I've got somebody like you to connect with. I really appreciate your time and insight. Once again, want to wish you best of luck this wildcard weekend and look forward to connecting again not too far down the road. Absolutely. See ya. Goodbye. Thanks again to Cleve TA and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed our conversation, the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. A close second would be to check out the BetUS NFL show I'm hosting on YouTube with professional bettors Las Vegas Chris and Scott Kellen. We're breaking down every game every week. In fact, our wildcard weekend show is already available. You can check it out via the link in the show notes. Our plan is to do one show per week during the playoffs every Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 Pacific. One housekeeping note before we close up shop. If you live in an area where wagering is legal, New York, I see you. And if you want to kill two birds with one stone, go ahead and sign up for a sportsbook via any of the links at the bottom of the Props and Hops landing page on Dimers.com. That way you can get down on some edges and support this show along the way. And you guessed it, you can also find that link in these show notes. Alright, that'll do it. Best of luck with your action this wildcard weekend. I'll talk to you next week with a breakdown on the divisional round, many fans' favorite weekend of the year, and there's no disagreement from me on that front. But until then, let's enjoy this weekend as well, and as always, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well.